Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the specialist digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Now, for long-time listeners, you will probably already know who we are. You may have even heard one of our ads on a previous episode of this podcast. But for those of you who don't, here is a short introduction. At Create Engage, we help you create an effective marketing strategy for your consultancy, a strategy that will resonate with your target clients. And then we support you by delivering the campaigns you need to turn that strategy into a reality helping you to build your brand, raise your profile with your prospective clients, and ultimately generate return on investment from your marketing activity. Now, I could tell you about many of the great clients that we work with and the results we've delivered for them. But instead, I'm going to do something much more powerful and something that I would recommend you do for your own marketing. I'm going to let our clients do the talking for us. If you are currently thinking about marketing for your consultancy, you're going to want to listen to this. Create Engage started the process for us. They managed it end to end. They came up with some really creative ideas and we were really happy with the work that they did, which meant that we could just focus on running the business. Not only did we start conversations with clients that we hadn't spoken to before, but also there was tangible return on investment by some work that we were given. They've helped right from the initial shaping of the idea through to helping us work out what our end goal was. They've supported us with the visual identity and our positioning of the brand. We've had an immediate expansion of our network and and have initiated a raft of new conversations with owners, CEOs in in target client organisations and has led to us winning new projects already. One of the greatest compliments, I guess, is that one of our competitors even said that uh, they really like what we're doing with marketing. They wish they could be doing something as good. So from our perspective, we couldn't recommend Create Engage any more than this. I would certainly recommend Create Engage if you're a consulting firm. They really understand consultancies and the sort of challenges we face. And, uh, you know, I don't think you're going to get much better marketing anywhere else. So I wouldn't hesitate to recommend Create Engage. They did a really good job for us. So if you're looking for an agency that can help you achieve the results that our clients just described, then head to our website createengage.co.uk where you can find out more about how we support consulting firms like you. You can download our latest ebook and you can get in touch to talk about how we can help you take your consultancy to the next level through digital marketing. Hi and welcome to today's episode of Climate Consulting. In this one I'm doing something a little different and I hope you enjoy it because earlier this year I was invited onto another podcast as a guest. And having enjoyed the experience so much and had some great feedback on the conversation, I wanted to share it with you so that you could hear the conversation that I had. That podcast was with Professor Joe Omani, and it's called Growth for Consultancies. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, I'd highly recommend. Now, Joe's name may be familiar to you, and that is because he has previously featured on this show, on Climbing Consulting. I've put a link to his episode in the show notes at the bottom if you want to listen back. But if you haven't had a chance to catch up, just a brief snapshot about Joe. Joe is one of the leading authorities on the consulting industry and a trusted advisor to many boutique consulting firms. His research on the profession has won several prestigious awards and seen him featured in many top academic journals, both in the UK and internationally. If that wasn't enough, he holds the accolade of having the best-selling textbook on management consulting, one that's used by universities across the land. Now, as a previous guest on this show, I was honoured when Joe asked me to come onto his podcast and join an enviable list of former guests, including the likes of Adrian Betridge, Stephen Newton and Rob Garner, just to name a few. In this conversation, Joe grills me on what an effective marketing strategy for a boutique consultancy should really look like. He asks a load of questions around what you should be focusing on. And we have a good discussion and a bit of challenge from Joe to make me prove the ROI of marketing, something that I get asked a lot by consultancies when I'm speaking to them out in the market. Now, I really enjoyed this catch-up with Joe. He's a great guy. We speak quite a bit outside of podcasting. We've got a lot in common, and it was really nice to actually sit down with him and have this conversation for his show. If you are leading your own consulting business or even your own practice area, or maybe you want to do that one day and you're looking to understand 
how you can use effective digital marketing to help you build your firm, your practice, or even just your career, then you are going to find this episode really valuable. So with the intro done, all that's left to say is please enjoy today's conversation, a special one-off where I am interviewed by Professor Joe Omani for Growth for Consultancies. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for joining us today. I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing someone I have known for quite some time now who is, and I'm sure many of you will be aware of him, and if you are not, you should be, and that is Nick Sinnott, the founder and CEO of Create Engage, which is a digital marketing agency for professional services firms. And we were talking just before the call, Nick, about how Create Engage itself has grown, which is an interesting story in itself, but not one why which justifies having you on at the moment but I'm more interested in your expertise in digital marketing and so I wonder if we could start the call by you telling us a little bit about how you got to where you are today which is the question you ask people in your own podcast. Well Joe I think a great place to start I mean firstly thank you for having me on the show you know I think your series is great I know many of the guests I've enjoyed listening to as well and so it's an honor to be included in that staple and yes Quite interesting to have the shoe on the other foot after we spoke for my show quite a while ago now. But very Revenge, revenge is sweet. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll go easy on me, Joe. So to answer your question, and, and for those who don't know me, so as Joe said, I run Create Engage, and I'll come on to more about what we do. My career is as a management consultant, so I started with Baringa Partners uh, in their insurance practice, spent three years there, had a great time, cut my teeth on, on all sorts of consulting from ITPMO to operating model to process improvement, left there to launch my own startup business. And we may come on to that later, Joe, because it, it does have some bearing on Create Engage, which was actually completely out of consulting. And that was an online estate agency. That didn't work. I politely call it my kind of real world MBA, let's say, you know, it probably cost me as much. But that taught me a lot actually about marketing, which is why I said we, we may come on to it. Left that, went back into consulting as an independent and did a number of projects, some in the lean space, some in sort of big program delivery. And I always knew I wanted to run my own business and doing that typical consulting thing, you know, there was a Venn diagram of, I like consultants, I want to do something I enjoy and I want to do something that can create a business and therefore people will pay for. And it was actually my podcast that I started back in 2018, really as a a way to get mentorship and advice for myself and my listeners. But as a contractor, and and you'll know this from the people you know as well, it's, it's quite a lonely place. And so started the podcast, the podcast led to guests really just out of, I guess, intrigue saying, Nick, this was fun. Oh, and someone's messaged me. I want to find out more. Or, oh, this could be something that could be useful. And actually, our first client as Create Engage was a podcast listener, completely someone I didn't know before that who'd listened to the podcast and said, actually, you know, we'd like to do one of these ourselves. So that led to what became the start of Create Engage. And fast forward to where we are today, we're a full service digital marketing agency. We've worked with over 40 professional services firms. There's 13, seem to be 14 of us in the team. So quite a lot has happened in that time. But I'm going to pause there, Joe, so that my intro isn't too long. So hopefully that gives your listeners an overview and happy to dig into any of that and go where you want. Thank you, Nick. That's really useful. So my own clients who are typically boutique consulting firms between 15 and 100 employees and some coaching clients a lot smaller than that. For many of them, marketing is a black box in terms of they know what they want out of it. They're not too sure how the magic works internally. Tell me how you, for your average client who would come to you and say, look, we're a decent consultancy We've made, uh, we've done pretty well in terms of traditional marketing, LinkedIn work, working with people we know, getting a few referrals. We want to know how you work. What's your standard approach to working with, uh, say, a boutique consultancy? There's a few strands, I guess, to that, Joe, and and some of that comes to the, the maturity of the client. And we can probably dive into the different size of consulting firms you've mentioned, because there will be nuances depending on whether it's kind of a single service line, you know, single vertical or horizontal, as you typically find at the 15 person end versus usually multi-vertical, sometimes multi-horizontal, but at that kind of 100 person end. And some of that, as I say, depends where the firm is. So 
quite often, if a firm or a client of ours wants to dip their toe, we'll start with a campaign and we can talk more about you know, how to create campaigns that are effective and prove the ROI of marketing. Because very often, marketing will be led by one of the partners, let's say there's four to 10 partners. One partner sees the value but needs to persuade, convince their colleagues that this works. So very often, we will look to do a short, sharp campaign that can clearly show that ROI. Because once you've got that confidence of the partnership, it becomes much easier. The other way, and, and this is where we get to with clients, you know, if they find that successful and want to continue anyway, but some clients will say, look, we know Create Engage, we need marketing. This is where we come in on more of a retained capacity. And we can talk again about the split between those with marketing directors and those without. But for now, for ease, with those without marketing directors, we, we become that holistic function. And that's where we help them shape the strategy, understand where they're trying to get to, who they're targeting, what they're trying to achieve, build the plan, and then execute and alter that plan as we go. I'm not going to explain the airplane cliche because we all know it, but it's very true in marketing is you've got a plan at the start, but that plan evolves. And so actually having a team with you to help you grow and shape that plan is really important. So a few details there, but hopefully that answers the question, Joe, and and gives you, you and your listeners a bit of context. That's really useful. Thank you. So there's a couple of things I'd like to dive into a little bit there. I guess the first thing in in relation to your, your final point is that it really strikes me, perhaps with digital marketing more than anything else to do with the firm, that experimentation is called for. That what works for one firm may not work for another firm. And it doesn't matter how many bright minds you have on it, some experimentation is called for. And that means from a client's perspective, some patience is called for. And I'm guessing that's a tricky conversation for you to have sometimes. I think it's a good point, Joe. There's an interesting part of what you just said. And I think the patience is the fundamental part. And it might be something I share with you to put in the show notes afterwards. I ran a webinar actually looking at mistakes consulting firms make. And this applies to all professional services firms. But I did this just before Christmas. And what you've highlighted is is actually one of those, that patience piece. Because just like many people have those New Year's resolutions to get healthy, get fit, you've got to be patient in doing that. If you go to the gym once you're not going to see a lot of results. And and if your goal, you know, let's say I wanted to lose weight this year and I go to the gym once, I'm, I'm not going to blame the gym if I put on 10 pounds because I've been eating in between. So I think that's a really key part. The, the experimentation, yes, to an extent. So something that because of the number of consultancies and professional services firms we've worked with, we know the foundation's that will work for the vast majority of, of firms. And I, and I say that with you know the caveats, because some consultancies will be different. Some will have different levels of maturity. But there are foundations that's getting what we call the drumbeat of your marketing going, so people see it regularly. There's then overlaying those campaigns that will help really drive lead generation. And within both of those, you can experiment. I think sometimes experimentation is seen as we must go to the new. I, I often get the question, well, what's the latest thing we can do? And like with most things, you know, consulting is no different. The latest is actually not usually the best starting point. If you are, let's crudely say, level one to 10, if you're a level 10 at marketing, that bleeding edge might be a brilliant place to experiment. You might go and get a TikTok. But actually, if you're a one, simply having some consistent posts going out on LinkedIn is going to be your best next step in terms of foundation building. So I think the patience piece is key. And, and that is the harder conversation usually, the experimentation less so. Because once a firm understands that journey and the expectations, they actually understand why experimentation may come later, if that makes sense. Yep. Yep. Good. Okay. And my second question kind of leads leads off from this, but goes back to your first point, because you then put yourself in, you're putting your money where your mouth is by saying to a client, look, you need to build some credibility internally. We want to show return on capital quite quickly. So we're going to run a campaign for you that we're pretty sure is going to work. And this goes back to your point about saying there are some things that we can, without giving away the secret source, and it may be proprietary, what would a typical consultancy that is relatively immature in using an agency, perhaps has done a few LinkedIn posts, perhaps has a few blogs, but hasn't done a consistent strategic take on digital marketing, what would that campaign typically focus on or what channels might it typically focus on? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, Joe, and really happy to talk about about it. Funnily enough, and I don't know when this is going out, but we have a webinar coming up on this. So this will probably come out 
after the webinar. So you can relink back to it. But the point is more, we're very open. Something that we tell our clients, I'd say to anyone listening to this, and we practice as well, is you, you have to give away more IP than you feel comfortable with. And quite honestly, if if someone wants to take what I'm about to say and do it, amazing. The industry is better for it. And that same person was never going to hire us to do it. So so it's a kind of, there's no benefit in, in keeping it secret. But I, I think to your point on campaigns, so the, the first place to start is it's got to be something that will clearly generate leads. And leads for us is contact information of people who have shown intent that there is interest in your business. So what does that mean? If I've got an ebook on banking regulation and someone from Barclays or HSBC downloads it, there is a high chance that they are vaguely, at least vaguely interested in that for their firm. It's not always the case, but you know that's a much better starting point. That is a lead for us. Obviously, as we all know, consulting is a relationship sale. And just for ease, I'm using consulting professional services interchangeably in this conversation. It's a relationship sale. And so actually that conversation off the back of the lead may take a few months. It may even take a year, years. It, it can happen. But the lead has come from marketing. So it's got to be something that's lead generating. You mentioned around what the campaign is on. That's very much client-specific. That's where shaping the strategy comes in. But if someone was saying, what's the kind of broad structure? Very simplistically, there's kind of two go-tos or two that you might want to consider. So the webinar is the first one. I mentioned webinars before. We find webinars are a brilliant starting place. They're a brilliant piece of marketing to have in your, your ongoing drumbeat, your ongoing campaigns as well. But if you're trying to prove the ROI here running a or a series of short webinars will do that quicker and better than almost any other channel. Obviously, it's just a sort of one-off shot. But if you run, let's say, four webinars, you get 25 people a webinar, that's 100 people, 100 leads. And if someone listening to this is trying to persuade their colleagues, their partners that, that this is a sensible thing to do, they've just got 100 people, usually in the space of about 12 weeks, that they can show, okay, money in equals leads out. And you know we're not going to get into the conversation, but then you've obviously got, okay, well, what's the return on investment? How does that work with your funnel metrics, et cetera? The other way, and, and this is, it's kind of more traditional in our industry, so it might be safer for some people, but is the white paper, or as we call it, ebook. Ebook really is just to distinguish our view that something that you write has to give value. Too often, white papers are quite theoretical. They don't have much coming out the back of it. Again, Similar structure. We have an ebook on, on, as I said, banking regulation. We don't, you, fictitious client might. And if people download it, that's a number of people who have shown that intent. And again, you can go to your colleagues and say, well, here it is. The other side of that as well is you can build that into your BD approach. So you can say, well, okay, let's take this out to our clients and, and use that from a, a marketing perspective further down the funnel. And we might come on the funnel later. So that would be for anyone listening, the kind of two starting, really simplistic, two headline campaigns. Obviously, all of that depends on the strategy. If you haven't got the strategy right, it's not going to work. If my goal is to run the marathon and I spend the next six months doing 10-minute runs and lifting weights, I'm not going to be ready for the marathon. So I think that strategy point is really important. Okay, so now that provides a nice segue into strategy. And a lot of what I have seen with my own clients, which passes as marketing strategy is nothing of the sort. It's a marketing plan. And there may be nothing wrong with that because you would have a people plan, you'd have an IT plan. It's much more around what we're going to do, how we're going to measure it, what our success metrics are. Strategy for me is how it's almost a creative endeavor. It's what should we be doing and what does that look like? And then how are we going to get there comes afterwards. From my own perspective, again, clients very often focus more I mean, there's something sexy about digital marketing, isn't it? It's got the word digital in it. You can, it's very measurable. You know, you can measure the clicks. You can measure, you know, the click-through rate of of the entire funnel. What I see much less of, and I think this is quite damaging sometimes, is market research, which is where I would position strategy, which is what should our unique value proposition be? What services in our area are on the up, which are on the down? Let's do some research on our clients, our competitors, so that we can position our company better. I guess two questions here. Is that something that you get involved with? And if not, how do you distinguish between the sort of outbound marketing, both inbound and outbound in terms of digital, but also positioning from a strategic perspective what that company should be doing? 
I think, like you say, that there's two parts to the strategies you've spoken about there. I think the, the business strategy and the marketing strategy, from, from what I'm hearing, I think the business strategy completely agree with you in terms of approach. That That's not something we as a marketing agency do get involved in. So you're quite right. We need to be working with a business that's clear on what they are selling, not in terms of how they're packaging it and positioning it, but you can't market successfully a bad product. And so anyone who is, who's listening should have a clear idea on what they are doing or the focus areas. And I must say, in, in terms of our client work, that side of things has, has yet to be a problem. Most people who start boutique consulting firms do it because they are expert in a thing and know that that thing has either longevity or is soon going to explode. So take data, for instance. People who started data consultancies five years ago would have done so because they believed the market was going to explode and they've improved right. You know, Likewise, someone who runs a PPM shop, a program management shop, knows that that is a discipline never going away. So that's, again, proved out. So I think the business side... I agree with you, but less less what we do. I think where we get involved is then how do you take what you're trying to do and market that? And that is where we do some research. So actually, a lot of what we find, you're right, you can do a lot of external research for the size of firms we're dealing with. And you mentioned that kind of 15 to 100. We find more often than not, actually, there's so much rich insight inside the firm. And firstly, in terms of focus areas. So something we always ask new clients for is, tell us about the last 12 months of projects. Because interestingly, I mentioned, let's say, a data shop. Sometimes firms, so we just specialize in data, we do it for everyone. But when you dig into the sold projects, they've, they've spent the entire time in automotive, or they've got you know two big verticals. And that becomes important when you focus the strategy. So I think that's one side. Then the other side, when we do get into the marketing strategy, is looking at who are the clients. And I, I can sort of talk you through how we, we would shape a strategy if it's useful. But very often... Because we're so busy as consultants, we, we don't stop to think, well, who are our clients? And when actually you only need 10 to 20 clients have a huge business, there's a lot of consulting firms, and you, you'll know this probably better than I do, Joe, who have very substantial businesses. And I know your podcast about growth and some of that sale. And for people who want to sell, they can do that off a firm with 10 clients. You know, 10 times a million is 10 million. Actually, when you think like that, you only need to attract a small number of people who are exactly like the people you've already got, which really focuses your marketing. And that data and insight we very often get from our clients because no one's asked the question before. And so if you ask the question of who are our clients, who are our favorite clients, who are the ones that we find we work the best with, you often get those insights that help you build what we call target avatars. And those are the the personas, the people we market to. So that's where, as I say, we do focus. And I can talk about the business strategy. I'll be honest, as the professor in consulting, I will leave to you, Joe. I'm sure you have more insights on it. Here's a conversation I had recently with a client. And I kind of went through, you know, the importance of content marketing, the importance of, you know, having something that's going out that shows them to be the, you know, lead thought leaders in the area. And they're a great company, very capable of doing it. But the people who can write that content don't have time. When they've tried to outsource it, the content creation this is, which I generally don't recommend to my clients, they've had a bad experience because you get a, I don't know, a 30-year-old marketing person who's, you know, very bright, very good at marketing, but they just don't understand the depths of, I don't know, cloud computing or whatever the, the complex issue is. And you know as well as I do, it's almost like learning a, a new language when you go into a new consultancy. So my advice to them was, okay, so if you're a leader who's pressed for time, you create the big picture and, you know, the key points, the argument that you want to make. If you don't have time to write that thousand word ebook or your blog piece, then pass it down to a junior who does have time. Then when it comes to making it, doing the copy editing, making it presentable, finding out the best way to do it, then you pass it out to the marketing agency. Is that bad advice I've been giving or is that something that you would be familiar with? It's an interesting question, Joe, and actually to unpack in terms of the different approaches, I think the first thing to say is I can only speak about Create Engage and what we do. So because we are focused on the professional services industry and particularly consulting, we specialize in becoming experts to the level we need to in what our clients do. And I say the level we need to, because to your point around cloud computing, if if my team were as expert as your client in cloud computing, we'd go and do that. That's not what we do. So that is one part of it. I think the other part is around actually how do you create? And that is the important thing, because very often, 
it is, you know, with everything in life, the input to an extent decides the output. So if you have sufficient input and sufficient capability in the box in the middle, the output should be good. Now, to your point on structures, and we have clients who do a whole mix of these, so it's worth sharing for your listeners' benefit. So I think the the top-level stuff, the strategic planning out the marketing strategy, we maybe put on the shelf for now, we can come back to. I think the actual content then, firstly, anyone listening wants to think about what's the medium that works best for them. So through university and just growing up in a time when some of these mediums didn't exist, we have a default in consulting to writing. The amount of times that marketing is actually then used synonymously with blog or article. I think that's potentially one mistake. Like we're doing here, podcasts are much bigger now, webinars are much bigger. And actually, that's a really great place to start because very often, to your point around the busy partner, they are great at doing this, jumping on a call, having an hour's discussion or a 10-minute discussion and that being turned into content. It's something we do with a number of our clients is we will do this, we'll spend a half hour, 20 minutes on a briefing call. And actually that briefing call gives you 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 words. But because we're shaping and scoping and guiding that conversation, you get the key points you need. So that's that's one, whether you use an agency or not, actually think about the medium because that input will help the output. I think then there is, like you said, there's the kind of bullet point the argument and then give it to someone else. Now, Something I'd be encouraging anyone on this call to do and this listening to this is in consulting, we very often think you need to become complex in your marketing to dazzle a client. And this is how consulting was 20 years ago. You know, people had methodologies and approaches and they kept them secret. That, that's not the world anymore. Actually, what you need to do is go the other way, is make it clear and simple. If you can't explain it, and there's research on this, you know, if you can't explain it to an 11-year-old, it's not going to land with a CEO. And that's often quite a shift for people. So actually being able to synthesize your thinking into a structured set of bullets. The third area you talked about, just write the thing and get it polished. Again, we have clients where we do that. And and that is because it's super technical and at the real technical end, or it's very in-depth data that or analysis that the client knows. I think the other side of that is just some clients have different preferences. So with some firms we work with, they are very comfortable with us creating the content based off, as I said, that brief or that that sort of call, some clients, just by virtue of who they are, prefer to write, you know, if it's a thousand word piece, they'll write 900 and then our team will copy edit that, will bring in the, you know, the marketing strategies, we know it. So there is a range, but I think to your question of what is the best way, I think all three can work. I think it's very much then around how you work with your marketing function. And we call ourselves an agency because you've got to call yourself a thing, but we are really an outsourced marketing function. So whether you have an internal function or an outsourced function like us, it's then about how you work with that function and make sure they've got enough input. And this is probably the last piece, Joe, on this, and it is really important, is I'll always say to clients, and particularly when we're sort of just talking about working together, it's a bit cliche, but if you give us an inch, we can take a mile. And the reason I say that is... Sometimes there's a misconception that because marketing is called marketing, you can lob something over the fence or nothing over the fence and something brilliant will come back. And actually, what we are great at is taking that initial idea, that initial brief and making that into what our clients want and then more so and we can come on to sort of repurposing. But I think that's something when you're guiding your clients, I would almost look at what could we as a consulting firm be doing to help our marketing partner or our marketing function and then address those issues will help to get the output. There's a lot in there, but hopefully that gives some colour. That really chimes in terms of, you know, I, I have had clients in the past, fortunately none at the moment, who who see a marketing agency as a way of absolving themselves from responsibility from doing the marketing. And my view on this has always been that even if you're outsourcing it, you need to treat it like an insourced function in terms of the more information, the more structure, the more reviewing, especially initially, the better service you're going to have. And it's like taking on an employee. It's a learning relationship. And if you expect a new employee to come on and suddenly understand what your firm is about and produce the right content, you're going to be sorely mistaken and the same is true of a marketing agency I think. I want to move on a a little bit to talk about marketing systems because it's something I my philosophy about growing and selling a company is very much about building the asset of the company and very often that is around building systems whether it's in terms of developing people whether it's a system for business development whether it's a system for continuously improving the intellectual property for your delivery. 
And I believe the same is true of marketing. Um, and certainly when buyers come to look at a company, they love to see a marketing system that is virtually independent of the people that are involved with it. But it's something that is often lacking in clients. And I guess it could be a challenge for you in terms of if you're the marketing agency, you only get to see part of that system. Now, is creating a system, and for people that are listening, when I'm talking about a system, I'm talking about all the way from, are we doing our market research? Are we, do we have the right products and services? What's the unique value proposition of those? Are we talking about them in the right way? And then getting into the specific campaigns that are run, measuring those campaigns and improving them. So you've got this continuous, hopefully improving cycle, virtuous cycle of getting better at marketing. Is that something that you have experience with? Is it something that you help with? And if so, do you have any reflections on how firms can do that better? I think a great question, Joe. A lot in there. So this might become uh, most of the rest of the interview, but I I think you, you really have hit the crux of the problem for consulting firms when they are thinking about marketing. Because as your question alludes, very often people think about the outputs, the content, the posts, the graphics. And what you've just talked about, that system, is really fundamental. Because without that system, you're never going to create sustainability and the compounding benefits thereof. So I think a couple of things to touch on in terms of how we approach that. So yes, that is core to what we do. As I said, because we are an outsourced function, for us, it's about helping our clients for the long term. So we've worked with clients, you know, our longest clients since we launched the agency you know, up to four years ago. We've got plenty of clients along that spectrum. And a lot of that has come from helping them build that system, as you say. We've also had some clients exit or be acquired as well. Obviously, I can't go into specifics, but completely on that journey, you know, we've we've seen all, all ends of the spectrum. So I think a couple of things probably worth highlighting, and, and these are things we can share afterwards if they're useful to your listeners. So one is, I guess, the approach that we recommend. It's the one we use for that. And then there is our, our strategy framework, which really sits at the heart of that because if you're not, to your point, starting your system with regular reviews of your strategy, the, the rest is going to fall down. So actually something, you know, for anyone listening, and we'll get a bit practical, starting with an annual review of the strategy and six monthly reviews thereafter. So when we kick off with a client, we do a sort of full day, a big strategy review, plan for at least the next six to 12 months. And then we check in on that every six months. And where needed, we'll have the full day again. You know, if someone's got a new offering, a new vertical, they you know bring in a new part of the business. But I think in terms of building, like you said, and I'm a big fan of good to great, so I'm going to steal the phrase flywheel. I think to achieve that, and then we, you know, stop me as you want, but you've got to start with that strategy because that dictates everything. I think you mentioned it around often people start with the plan and you do need a plan, that's step two, but you've got to have a strategy first. And the plan will look maybe three, six months out, maybe 12, but you know, like we all know in terms of confidence intervals, your next three months will be locked, your, your next six months will be maybe, and your next 12 months will depend what happens. Because as we all know, you know, the market and the world moves quickly. I remember COVID coming out of nowhere and suddenly everyone's plans went out the window. So you've got to think about that. Then actually getting going, and you know, we talked about a couple of examples earlier in the podcast of just, to your point, this is where I guess experimentation does come in, of just start doing something. Too often as consultants, we want things to be perfect. So we'll do the business case, we'll do the requirements. That's great in IT. With marketing, let's just start something because it gives you data. And this is where then that combines with testing and learning. So trying, you mentioned LinkedIn, different LinkedIn formats, trying webinars. Some of your team will love them. Some of your team will hate them trying to write some articles, you know, maybe write an ebook. And again, this isn't to say you have to do all of these to achieve success, but it's just giving you those different samples. And this is when we work with any client, we're very open about that first six months, we're going to try things, it's going to be guided, we know, you know, we're going to narrow that a million down to three, but try some things. At the same time, and, and this is something that really sustains to your point, that flywheel that then achieves that kind of tick in the box when an acquirer comes along is engaging the team is as people businesses, our asset is our team and our team are experts. They're brilliant. And the great thing about marketing in our industry is it's your team people are buying, so your team people want to see, but it's a win-win for your team. If I'm a consultant, I'm a director, even I'm a partner, by raising the firm's profile through marketing that I'm part of, I'm raising my own. So it's a huge win-win. That obviously then gets that increase in reach, increase in leads, everything you want. And then it's taking that checkpoint when you've worked around that flywheel in, in whether that's three, six, 12 months time to say, okay, 
what's working, what do we want to keep, you know, how do we optimize, how do we improve? Also thinking about, well, actually, is what we do sufficient? Do I need to increase it to get to where I want to get to? So, yeah, and, and you probably remember this from our conversation, Joe, I stick to sports and exercise metaphors because it's all I can do. But, you know, let's say your first goal was to do couch to 5k and you've hit 5k. Great, well done. You then have a choice, you sustain at 5k forever, or you improve and you go to 10k. But that 10k requires different work, it requires maybe an increased training program. And you need to make that decision consciously. So it's the same with marketing is if you're happy at the level you are, and we've had clients where they've remained at the same level, let's say in terms of marketing capacity for multiple years, because that suits the size of business they are. That's brilliant. But if you are a firm where you're like, right, we need to be X in two years or Y in three years, whatever that is, you need to ask yourself that question. Because if you don't, what can happen is in that second cycle, when the results are the same as the first, you can end up with people getting a bit, I guess, disenfranchised because they think, oh, well, marketing isn't delivering them more anymore. Well, that's because you know the input's the same, so the output's the same. So that question is a key thing. And then it is about building that flywheel. So quite a lot in there, but hopefully that gives you the process. I can go on to the strategy, but maybe we, well, you guide me, but that's kind of the process answer to your question. That's great. And I especially like that answer because it, it gives sufficient emphasis to the end of the flywheel, well, the, there is no end to a flywheel, but the sort of tail end of a circle, which is measuring and improving. And what I have found with a lot of new clients who, who come to me is that they've tried blogs and it didn't work in three months. So they tried webinars and then that didn't. And then they tried YouTube and TikTok and Instagram all at the same time. And None of this stuff has worked. And so they go, well, digital marketing's rubbish. We're going to go back to tradition, you know. And that measurement piece is so important and getting it right and spending time on it and then saying, well, we've tried X. Let's try a variation of X and then compare the two and see what happens. I mean, it would be A-B testing, I guess, in your terms. And it's something that if you're going to have a system, it's such a waste to have this wonderful system set up and then not to have that measurement part of it. Okay, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the future of marketing, because there's some really interesting things going on. And I, I guess there always is, you know, there's always automation, there's always different things that can be outsourced, there's always the new thing. But I wanted to, my pet project at the moment is GTP3, or GTP3.5, as it's now been known. And whenever there's a new bit of AI, I run a student essay through it to see if it will pass. And the answer has always been no. So I've been very sceptical about AI and its uses. However, most recently with GTP3, I ran it with the student essay and then I got a colleague to mark it and it passed. Now, it wasn't a great pass, but it was a pass nonetheless. Now, is this something where you, and I think I know the answer to this, where you're quaking in your boots thinking, my God, content creation is now as commodified as, I don't know, video production or, or, or whatever. Or are you thinking this is an opportunity? Or are you thinking this is an irrelevance? Good question, Joe. Very topical. Big question as well. I think my first answer is that I now know I can come and get a management consulting degree with uh, with AI. So we'll talk after this. Don't about tell my students. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I, ho I hope none of them listen to this. I'm sure because I was like everyone been reading around this and I know Google are coming out and, and flagging that they're going to have potentially sort of penalties for AI generated content and they'll obviously have moderation tools. So it would not surprise me if in the near future, the plagiarism tools you use now have a kind of AI analytics feature. I think to your point, and I'll probably answer this from a client's perspective, happy to share my own as an, as an agency owner, but I think Tools are not new. And actually, to your point, AI tools are not new. You know, things like Jasper has been around for years now. Granted, GPT is better, but ultimately, these tools are great at creating stuff that everyone else knows because that's how they work. You know, they are drawn from the, the body of knowledge that's out there in the world. And on one level, you might say, well, that means, of course, they're going to be amazing at my thing. But actually, for consultants and partners listening to this, that equally means they're never going to be able to replicate your thing. If you are an expert in, and I always use this example because it's the one I always saw the most pain with, but actually user acceptance testing for insurance firms. Yes, I could go on to ChatGPT now and I'd get a reasonably 
passable five steps to user acceptance testing. But it would not have the depth, it would not have the personality, it would not have the nuance of the client organization. And that's what comes through. That's what your clients are buying. And I think what we are going to see is a wave of consulting firms, just a wave of businesses, creating that generic content. You know, it is the kind of the SEO clickbait content of old when you could get away with calling your website the top consulting firm in insurance.com. You could have 10 articles that Google would rank highly. Google's moved on and, and everyone in, sort of in the industry knows that. But actually, I think we're going to see a bit of a wash and a wave where people go, oh, you know, there is a generic article out on change management. Great. That ticks the box. And it's those firms, to your point, who are then going to go, well, marketing is naturally delivering for us. You know, we've created lots of outputs. We've, we've created lots of widgets, but those widgets aren't delivering. You know, will these tools benefit consultancies? Will they benefit marketing agencies? Sure. You know, the best consulting analogy is when back in 20 years ago, every analyst at Accenture coded. You know, most of my guests, I know you've had some guests on who, you know, they started coding. That got cheaper to do offshore. It got easier to do in an automated fashion. And with AI, graduates don't code, but there's still a lot for them to do. So do I think these tools are going to help marketing functions, marketing agencies like us? Yeah, definitely. Do I think for a consulting firm, they are going to replace quality content? Absolutely not. And I think actually that's where for anyone listening, almost that focus on being unique becomes really important. Because if you are not focusing on what is it that gives you that USP and what is it that really resonates with your target audience, your target avatars, that is where you are susceptible to being beaten by a GPT. You know, To that essay point, if your competitor is putting out generic change articles, and sorry, you are doing the same, you're going to be beaten by chat GPT. Whereas if you're really focusing your content, and, and we're talking about articles just because of the tool, but if you're really focusing that content on ensuring it's differentiated, ensuring it's adding value, ensuring it's targeting your target avatars, that's the human touch, as it were, that can't be replaced. So yeah, I think amazing tools, you know, like everything these days, my phone can tell me more than I, I know about myself about myself. So, you know, we live in a great world, but as with all of these tools, I think they're augmentations as opposed to replacements to what we do. Yes, and I, I think your point speaks nicely to a, almost a more strategic advice for all firms, but especially consultancies, is that there needs to be a balance between exploiting, you know, sort of standardizing, turning the handle, and innovating or exploring. And any firm that focuses entirely, as IBM has found, and any firm that focuses entirely on pure exploitation, turning the handle, doing the same thing over and over again, is going to fail in the long run. Whereas Accenture, with the amount of innovation and exploration and research and development and the type of stuff they spent it on, has done much better. And I think the same is true. You can see that paralleled in every function, whether it's people or delivery or marketing. And I think having that that tailored approach, having the innovation, being a true thought leader, it's going to be very hard to replicate through AI, isn't it? I think definitely, Joe. And just you mentioned the phrase, and just because I think it is worth touching on, I think the advice I would give actually is, so thought leader is a term that sometimes trips people up. And the reason I touch on it is because the solution actually isn't always moving the thought ahead. So it is not that, particularly for the boutiques listening to this, to combat what we've discussed, it is not that they have to go and you know towel over their head in a dark room until they come up with a genius idea. Actually, good thought leadership is is frankly just good thought. You know, in, in academia, there's people who review things and, and test things. And yes, it does move forward. But actually, some of the, the best thoughts, you know, we talked about good to great, some of the best literature has stood the test of time. And it is still, and I'll, I'll keep to what I know with good to great, you know, that book is still changing business owners' lives, however many years after it was written. And there's further back examples, you know, the E-Myth is another one. Actually, a lot of that is about ensuring you have good thought and you're giving it to people in a way they can apply. And that's where, as I say, for anyone listening, I don't want them thinking the only combat to this is a brilliant, you know, McKinsey-level Isaac Newton thought. Actually being clear on what is it that makes you different and being able to explain that you know, ultimately, that's why people go into starting their own boutique consulting firms. And that can be just as powerful. So I know you didn't ask it, but just so people don't leave worrying that Nick has said, you know, I've got to go and do a PhD in something. Having that good thought is as important in the example you've given. 
Does that make sense? Yes, it makes sense, and I, I agree completely. There's one final thing I wanted to pick your brains on, and that is um, the balance between sort of tactical campaigns that are aimed at specific, you know, products or services, and long-term brand building. And I've seen a fair bit of research that says firms that are more successful tend to invest as much in long-term brand building and messages around their value proposition as they do specific campaigns. So I guess I'd be really interested, this isn't something I've I've advised on and it's not something my clients have particularly uh, focused on, but what's your experience there? Yeah, so I think it's a great point, Joe. And the answer is, as you've said, it, it is both. Now, to what we talked about right at the top of the show, if you are listening to this and you need to prove marketing works, you're, you're better starting off with one of those tactical campaigns, something that will get leads in in a way that you can say, input a pound spent here equaled pounds out there. I think, though, to to exactly the example you've said, that, that has a finite life. And so you need campaigns that do have that finite lifetime. But then actually looking at what is that brand building content. And, and brand building can still be lead generative. If you've got what we call evergreen content, you know, methodology and approach, something that can last for months, years, but generate leads. But that building of a brand is really important because when someone is sending your firm, you know, your firm's website around their colleagues in a big corporate, what are people going to see? You know, when they look at your website, is it going to present a professional image or is it just going to look like you knocked it up? 10 years ago and haven't looked at it since. Likewise, when someone does their due diligence or their sort of initial, you know, maybe pre-call due diligence, they might not even contacted you. Can they see case studies? Can they see testimonials? Are they seeing people engage with your posts on LinkedIn? You know, these are all of those things that will be termed brand building. But actually, if you don't have that foundation, that drumbeat, firstly, you're missing out on people who might find you that way to generate leads. But equally, you are then leaving yourself open for someone saying, oh, Joe, this was a great piece, but I can't see anything about your firm or your website talks about something different. You know, these are those challenges. So I, I think you're quite right, Joe, is a marketing strategy needs to have both. We talk about a drumbeat, which is that consistent ongoing content, largely around brand, but focusing, brings in campaigns, but then also overlaying, okay, what are our campaigns for the next three, six, 12 months? And, and the key thing here is campaigns don't need to be big. You know, It might be you do a webinar a quarter. You know, we might not have time today, but we can talk maybe another time about that. That's still a campaign if it's the right scale for your organization. So in short, completely agree with you. Yeah, well, well, that's always a good, a good note to end on. But I would just reiterate what you're saying about the cadence. And, you know, for the busy founders and directors of a firm who are, you know, pushing, you know, 70, 80 hour weeks, I guess you and I would also emphasize that a lot of this can be reused and that if you are not just producing evergreen content, so content that's, you know, going to be relevant in two years time, but also you could, you know, you can cut things up. So you might do a, a webinar, but you might take snippets of it. You might transcribe some of it and use that as a basis of a blog. So it's not, it's one thing I try and get clear to my smaller clients when they're saying, look, I just don't have time. If you do, it's like your diet or your exercise analogy. If you do little and relatively often, it's much better than having a huge push for three weeks and then not doing anything at all for a few years. Yeah, com completely agree, Joe. And I, I think your first point around, so we call it repurposing, is I think a really important one because that's where some of the things we've talked about earlier around webinars, podcasts, I would encourage anyone on here to think about what's the biggest thing I can create with the least effort that I can then chop into little things. Because just like anything else that compounds, it is much easier. You know, you've probably had sales experts on it and they'll say it's just as easy to sell a million pound client as a 10 million pound client. It takes as much work. You know, there's nuance, but you're going to sit in the same meetings. You're going to write the same pitch. Just one, you put an extra zero on in terms of the proposal. It's the same here is actually it's just as much brain work to create a 3,000 word ebook as it is to create a thousand word blog. You've got to think of the topic, you've got to structure it, et cetera, et cetera. But to your point, that 3,000 words can become quotes, snippets, social posts, blogs in its own right. And so if you're short on time, thinking about what's the big thing that can become the little things is what will keep those consulting owners running, you know, working those 60 to 80 hour weeks, able to do marketing at a reasonable scale without, like you say, having to work another 20 and burning themselves out. 
Yes, and I often have clients who are worried about reusing the same thing. And I I always say, your potential clients really aren't that interested in you. They're not going to, the 5% of them that might see the same LinkedIn post or blog post being advertised, they're not going to suddenly decide not to use your company. It's the potential upside of reuse is so much bigger than the potential downside. I think definitely. And and just one example to bring that to life, if it's helpful. So earlier, well, it'd be last week, actually, I put out a post. It was a quote from my interview with Stephen Newton. So I think he's been he's been on your show as well, hasn't he? I know Steve very well. We argue all the time. (laughs) Well, so, you know, you know him as Steve, which tells me you know much better than I do, Jay. But the point is, I, I spoke to him back in 2018. So we're going back, you know, not quite, well, what's that? just shy of four years, five years. And I put up a post. It was a quote from his interview because it was relevant. It was about entrepreneurship. And, you know, January is when people think about starting consulting firms. And that got tons of engagement, tons of people commenting, tons of people viewing it. And to exactly bring, you know, to sort of confirm your point, that was a quote card, so a picture of a quote that firstly was from a podcast four years ago. And I think we've used once or twice before each year since then. So, that's a great example of as long as it's good thought, it's pertinent to your market, people will still engage with it. Definitely. And Steve is eminently quotable as well. He's a, and it's one of the reasons he's so successful is he's not afraid of, uh, he doesn't pull his punches. We didn't touch on him earlier, but a great example of when you talk about how, how could AI or could it not change what consultants do? I think Stephen or Steve, as you know, him, is a great example where being yourself, talking in a way that is authentic to you, but resonates with your audience is very hard for something automatically AI to copy. And I would be advising more people to be like him than I would be saying, try and create generic content through an AI tool. Yes. And if if clients want generic, they'll go to Accenture or uh, KPMG. They're not going to go to a... If if you want vanilla, there's lots of firms out there who can do it, but it's not a winning strategy for boutiques, is it? Good. Okay, Nick, listen, thank you so much for your time. For people who don't know Nick, he's got a wonderful podcast of his own called Climbing Consulting, and I listen to that, as you know, Click. In fact, I've even been on it, but I listen to that a lot, and I would highly recommend it. You've been going longer than I have, and also I, I think we both agree that yours are slightly more professional than mine, so very much worth a listen. And Nick, just to say thank you for your advice and time. We really appreciate it. Amazing, Joe. Well, as I say, thank you for having me on. It It is an honor. And yes, if anyone wants to to hear my show and hear, I know we've had some similar guests, but, you know, other people in terms of how to grow consulting firms. In fact, we can put a link in the show notes. And and if anyone wants to find out more about what we've talked about from a marketing perspective or kick around ideas, you know, I'm more than happy just to have a chat. There's no expectation on my side. Please put my email in the show notes. So it's nick at createengage.co.uk. Brilliant. Thank you, Nick. Amazing. Thanks, Joe. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Climbing Consulting. If you have any guest recommendations, comments, ideas, thoughts on how I can make this show better for you, just drop me an email. It's nick at createengage.co.uk and I really look forward to hearing from you.